This is the Smart Pizza Marketing Podcast, episode 64. This is the show where we get to talk to the most successful pizza entrepreneurs and marketing experts in the business today and teach you what's working with social media. We do that with our podcast, our live show every Monday night over on Blab, our courses, the mastermind group, the membership site, and everything over on the blog over at smartpizzamarketing.com. So check it out. Join us as we talk to today's top entrepreneurs and find out what's working in marketing and social media. Super excited for today's show. My guest today is the Director of Operations for the East Coast of the Upper Crust, which is a local joint that I know of because I'm in the Boston area, and that's where it kind of started. So we talked to Sean Schenefeld, who is the director there. He runs the East Coast, which includes Boston. They're opening up in the D.C. area, and we talk about the expansion, how it went from a single owner operation to a venture capital-based operation and how that transition went, uh, how they're using social media. Uh, some Sean gave a great book for you guys to check out from Danny Myers. That's in this episode. And we just talk a lot about business, uh, what it's like to run multiple locations, and some great stuff in this podcast episode. But before I get into that episode, uh, let me just talk about the Mastermind Group. We're reopening the Mastermind Group. If you want to join other entrepreneurs in the pizza or restaurant industry, meet a couple times a month and uh, you know see what's working in the business, throw some ideas back and forth, and learn a lot more about social media in detail, head over to smartpizzamarketing.com forward slash mastermind for that. Also, don't forget, we do a live show every Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time over on Blab, smartpizzamarketing.com forward slash Blab. will bring you to this week's show if you're listening to this in the future. Just use that link and it'll redirect you to subscribe to the show. You can hop in with us, me and uh, my co-host Mike Ganino talk every Monday night. Uh, sometimes we'll have special guests on, past uh, guests of the show, or special guests that maybe haven't been on the show yet, answer some questions about marketing, about business, and just talk for an hour about a topic that's going on in the restaurant slash pizza world. So. I think that's it for housekeeping. Let's just get right into this episode with Sean Schenefeld of the Upper Crust Pizza. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Smart Pizza Marketing Podcast. Super excited for today's guest. He is the Director of Operations for the East Coast of the Upper Crust. I have on with me today, Sean Schenefeld. Hopefully I said that right, Sean. Did I? You got it. So, um, uh, hey, Sean, thanks for coming on the show, taking the time out. Um, I know the Upper Crust is a growing company, so tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe how you got started in the industry before Upper Crust, or if you started with them, and then how you got started with them, if that's where you started. Absolutely. So I uh, I actually got started in the restaurant industry when I was young. I, I've been in it my whole life. Um, you know, in high school, I did the typical busboy thing, waiter, and then in college, um, worked for a couple uh uh, big uh, five-star resort, you know, five-star resorts out. In, uh, I went to school at Arizona State, so I worked for a big, uh, a couple of big resorts out in in the Phoenix area. So I've been in in the hospitality industry um, pretty much my whole life. Um, I uh, got involved with pizza right after college. Uh, my parents actually owned some pizza restaurants in Arizona. I was able to uh, after graduation, I was able to partner up with a couple. Uh, couple buddies from college and we actually expanded my parents brand out in arizona oh cool uh, we did that for yeah so that was fun i mean we were young and had the energy to work all day and <laughs> yeah that's what it takes to did they still own those those pizza shops in arizona they, my parents uh yeah so they actually just uh they just retired a couple couple years ago and my former business partner just uh moved on 
probably about um, six months ago. So they own, we owned a, they owned them for a long time. Um, I actually did it for about seven years and uh, sold off to my partner and, and went and did some things in real estate for a while before moving to the Boston area. Once I moved to the Boston area, um, uh, believe it or not, I actually missed the industry. <laughs> so um, I was able to get back involved with Upper Crust. I was actually working in real estate and banking, um, and I was doing uh, working Upper Crust as part time at night to make some extra money. I lived in the city, and obviously, it's like, you know, it's expensive in Boston. Yeah. So I needed a second job, and because of my background, I was able to um, to uh, kind of wander into one of the Upper Crust locations at the time that was just opening in the South End, and uh, and uh, just work some part time hours. Um, honestly, probably within a couple months, I was just, I was back into it. I loved it. I, I realized I missed it. We were, uh, getting ready to open a store in Harvard square at the time. And I got back into management, uh, with that location. And then I went on to open, uh, a couple suburb locations. And then we actually, at that point, um, started expanding down in Washington, DC. So I relocated down to DC and, and, uh, started building the brand down in that market. So, now I, I handle all the operations in the expansion for the East Coast, and I actually go. I'm headquartered in, in Boston, but I go back and forth uh, between DC and Boston right now. Those are our two kind of hubs where we're expanding. And how many locations do you have that you're responsible for? So we're responsible. Or I have. Uh, we have. We just opened our seventh in Boston, and we have two in DC right now. So we have nine locations on the East Coast per se. Wow. And how long have you worked for with the Upper Crust? I've been with the Upper Crust about eight and a half years. Oh, great. Right. So you moved from Arizona to Boston. What was that transition like? Uh, that was brutal because I actually, I'm not from Arizona. I actually grew up in, in Michigan. Um, and uh, if you've ever been to Michigan, you know, all you want to do is get out. So <laughs> I went, you know, when it came time to go to college, I was going to make sure I went to college somewhere nice and warm. Yeah. And so obviously I went to Arizona, but, um, you know, I got to a point where, you know, you start to miss the seasons and you, you know, you kind of miss the greenery, you know, it's, 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 I don't know if, you know, if you've ever been to Arizona, it's pretty deserty. So, yeah, I've been to, um, uh, I, I've been to the Phoenix area and it's beautiful. Uh, it, it's almost too much fun is the problem. So, um, <laughs> it just got to a point where, it, you know, the, the summers are brutal and, you know, you start to. Like I said, you miss the fall, you miss the spring, and right. you really don't experience that out there. It's just kind of always the same, you know, which yep. is great part of the year, but in the summer, it's just really hot. So it got to a point where I finally decided, you know, it's time for a change. A lot of my friends that I went to college with lived, you know, are from New York and Boston, and it just made sense to uh, make a move right. um, to the East Coast. So uh, after a couple of these winters, I'm second guessing my decisions. <laughs> but, you know. This one, this year is not so bad, but last year was brutal. Last year was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so did you know of the Upper Crust before you moved to Boston, or did you learn about them when you moved here? I actually learned about them when I moved here. They were actually um, doing some <laughs> – they had these really cool marketing ads in uh, in a magazine, a local magazine called the uh, Improper Bostonians. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. And, uh, yeah, and it's, it's uh, kind of distributed all over the city. So – Whenever I go into a restaurant or whatever, I pick one up and I look. And these guys always had these great ads. It seemed like a fun environment to work, you know, to work for, or work with, and uh, seemed like a great company. So I walked into, uh, like I said, one of the locations, and so I was looking for some part-time hours, and 
and it kind of just went from there. Now, is, is the Upper Crest a franchise? Like, do they open franchises, or do they all open all corporately owned stores? No, it's all corporately owned. It's a corporate chain. We do have uh, we do have some partnerships overseas. Okay. Um, in, we have some partnerships in Turkey uh, and uh, Kuwait. So those are uh, those partnerships are with the founder, and he. Um, or were originated from the founder, I guess I should say. Right. And uh, those partnerships are are kind of separate. You know, they're, gotcha. they're uh, I wouldn't call them a franchise. We don't we don't do franchising. Um, I don't. You know, we get a lot of requests to be honest with you. Yep. But so who is the who is the founder? Not in, in the franchise. Who is the founder? In case some people aren't familiar. So the founder is uh, Jordan Tobins. He's uh, a Boston native. Yeah. Um, he started out in Beacon Hill. Uh, the company has transitioned into new ownership now it's it's owned by a now we're owned by a private equity firm okay and they're the ones that are kind of really pushing the expansion gotcha so he is, is the f- original founder jordan is he still involved he's still involved with um consulting and he's actually uh working on some west coast locations now okay so he's more of a consultant he kind of transferred ownership to the equity firm and they they're running the business aspect of it Right, so obviously they bring in the investors and right. help push the the growth, you know. So is that so? Were you there through that transition? I was. Yep. How was that? How was that transition going from you know a single owner to uh, an equity firm? You know, a, pri- a, a more more I don't want to say more business businessy part of the business, but I'm sure that Jordan. Well, you know, it 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 has a lot of positives, um, and there's nothing against. Uh, Jordan, obviously, because uh, he, he knows the business inside now. Yeah. Um, where where you really gain some perspective when you bring in a private equity firm or, or a really top notch investor is the business side of the business. Yeah. You know, the reporting and stuff. Those are things we really didn't. You know, doesn't take a genius to figure out your food costs and things like that. But um, we really have some extensive reporting now, and that's just because that's all you know, from a, pri- from a private equity firm perspective, that's all they know. They don't know anything about the restaurant. No, know? it's totally true. Nor do it, they care to know. Right. And I think that's a good point there is that a lot of these people that listen to the show right now are, are Jordan, you know, they're starting out like he did. They opened a location they, you know, they didn't have 50 locations in their mind. Maybe that was like the dream and the goal, but they're working on the process. And then you have this company that you're, you know, the equity firm and they know how to build companies from, the business aspect of it, not necessarily the hiring and the training of employee and day-to-day operations, but like what it takes to grow a company. I think that's, that's an enormous, um, you know, knowledge that they have that you, you can gain from that. Exactly. And, um, it, it's really been a, it's, it's really been great because they, I mean, the reporting we have now on a consistent basis and how accurate it is and you know, it's every week and in things like that is, is, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to find that, you know? Right. So, you know, I, there's two kind of forms of, uh, these kind of, these kind of investors or these kind of private equity firm, you know, a private equity firm is going to be pretty strict about the reporting. You know, they, yep. they want to see the numbers. They got to make sure that they're keeping their investors happy, that kind of thing. Um, I do know some brands that are lucky enough to, to get a private investor, um, and still go through that growth. And they're, they're still, looking for results or still looking for numbers, but they're not quite so big on cutthroat numbers, cutthroat, you know? Yeah. So it can, it can go either way with the growth, but I, I feel like in this day and age, if you really want to grow to the, 
40 stores or 50 stores, you, you know, you see it all over the place with these startups like, you know, 800 degrees and pizza yeah. rabbits. They're just powered by massive investors and they're just blowing units up like crazy. You know, I think uh, somebody was going to triple their size this year. I forget who it was. Right. Um, one of these startup places. So no, you really, you have to either um, have the, uh, the knowledge of the business background or partner with someone that does know the process of gra- ra- rapid growth is much different than opening a store every couple of years. It is, it is. And you really got to have your systems in place. You, you know, consistency and training are the two. I, I can't harp on it enough. Yeah. If you don't have that, don't waste your time because, um, you know, one or two units, three units, four units, whatever in the same city, you, know, you can still make it around each day and have even have a director or a district person or a regional person watching over and things like that. You start to open out of state and things like that, you know, your product better taste the same in Boston as it does in DC, you know, right. getting those products that we use here in Boston over in California or DC, isn't always the easiest, you know, that we got to make sure the cheese is correct. We've got to make sure the box company has a way to ship boxes to, you know, the mid Atlantic region. And so just Boston, right. Like that. So, um, consistency and training are everything when it comes to that rapid growth, you know? Yeah, I think that's, and I, that's what I feel anyway. No, I know? think you know, you're, you're absolutely right. And I don't know if everybody has that initial thought that consistency in training is key, but I do get asked a ton about, you know, finding, uh, not only, not just good help, but help that's motivated and wants to work and wants to get ahead. So you guys obviously have a lot of locations. How do you find your employees and not only find them, but, you know, find the good ones and then train those guys up. Well, it's not easy. You know, I mean, there's the restaurant industry is just booming right now. And so there's, I want to say that there's almost a shortage of labor out there. It's hard to find people, at least in the Boston area. Yeah. Because a lot of people have a little bit better luck in the South. I feel people have a little bit easier time in the South or the, like the Midwest compared to the two coasts. Yes, exactly. Um, so uh, we're lucky enough to have some people that have been with us for a long time that have been able to step up, yep. you know, and, and so, you know, we have a, <laughs> we have a person who just watches over Boston, you know, and then you have, you know, then, then we have myself on top of that, you know, um, and we have some managers that have been with us for many years. So um, we're lucky to have that. Um, and it's not easy to find good managers you know if, if yeah. we do if we are interviewing a manager i can almost guarantee you they're trying to make a move from another chain or another company in trying to get more money right. which is great because they come with a ton of experience and things but it may cost you a little bit you know yep now do you find do you hire most of your managers from within or do you out, like find them from other companies and they come to work for you i want to say that we do probably 75 percent within okay um if not 80 percent. that's a good ratio <laughs> we um just yeah, we, we try to always promote with them. It just it's easier. The person's already trained. They already have an idea of how the operations work, how the you know the company culture works, things like that. Um, it's not always easy when you expand out of out of state because you're kind of starting out new. You know, right. we don't have anybody to pull from uh, unless somebody's willing to relocate, which is is it doesn't you know it doesn't really happen very do you often. do so, you ask people if they are willing to relocate when you are opening a new store? We we do. Yeah, we, we always throw it out there. Um, you know, most of them have families and, 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 you know, a husband or a wife or somebody who's going to be working somewhere local and it's just not practical. Right. But once in a while, 
once in a while we um we get lucky and somebody's willing to make a transition we opened up the store in california it was really easy yeah everybody there was a line to go to the west coast because yeah. they want warm weather you know? i was just gonna say if you ever open up something in florida <laughs> let me know i'll be coming to, I'll, I'll relocate there you go <laughs> <laughs> so um <clears throat> that's uh so we do probably 80 80 probably 80 percent with you know promoting with it yeah um we just opened a store in burlington which is a suburb of boston and uh we brought a girl over from lexington which is another suburb store that had been there and she'd been working under the manager for quite some time so it was great because um it makes it just that much easier with the transition and we can go in and we can help him or her tweak a few things and and work on the management styles but the core of it is there you know right they've been with you guys as long as they Yeah, and they understand the culture and everything, and that's a big, that's something that's hard to train. Uh, the technical stuff we can train, right. you know. And I think that's the most important part to train is the culture and you know what the what you as the upper management set for expectations that the customer gets. Exactly. You know that's the yeah, exactly. how to. Uh, I always say like you have to train for someone's uh, skill as a person and their motivation and you know, just them in general as a person, because taking an order or making a pizza or uh, that's a trainable skill. You can kind of train anybody to do that as long as they're willing to put in the time, but you can't train motivation or, um, you know, someone being a nice person in general. That's something that you can't train. Right. 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 Being able to engage a customer right. personality, things like that. You can't. And, uh, there's a, there's a book out and I would encourage anybody who's in the restaurant industry uh, especially owners and, and people just getting started out to read it. It, it was written by Danny Meyer, uh, the guy who started Gramercy, Gramercy Tavern in New York, and now he owns Shake Shack. And he's he's big on the 51-49 rule, which is 51%. They're looking for 51% um, attitude and 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 personality, and you know, and just me, you know, being yeah. able to come to the door smiling and that kind of thing. Right. The other 49%, he says, we can train you. Right. You know? the technical stuff. Um, so he wrote a book called setting the table and we made all our managers read it. And, uh, it's, it's an excellent book. It's an easy read. I would encourage anybody to pick it up and, and read it because, uh, you know, you talk about somebody who got it right. That guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. So, I, yeah. He's, he's done quite a good things. And I think that's a great point. Um, you know, it's very easy to, when you're short on staff to hire someone that can make a pizza or do the skill that you need to do because it's a quick fix. Rather than hiring someone right. who has a great personality and knowing that it's going to take, you know, six to twelve weeks to train them to do that particular job, that's what a lot of people make the mistake of is they don't, they don't look at the long term; they just look at the short term. Exactly, and and you know they come in and they we teach them how to make a pizza, but then they do something wrong with the customer and maybe they may upset them or they don't care or they don't pay attention, and the, the customer's gone forever. Right. You know, and so uh, what what have you gained? You know. Right. Yeah, I think that's a great point there. And I'm going to add that book. We do a, uh, I have a book page on the website where I go over some, uh, you know, great uh, books for this industry in particular. And I haven't checked out that one yet. So great find on that. I'm going to have to go check that out. It's a great book. It's called, like I said, it's called Setting the Table. And, you know, obviously the guy didn't start um, a pizza chain. He started a burger chain called Shake Shack. But the point is, his the book talks about a lot about the culture and, and creating a culture and, and, and creating that, um, creating a brand that you can just kind of move forward with, with it. Yeah. You know, he puts employees first. 
he puts customers second. I think that's great because, you know, without great employees, we're not going to go anywhere. No, I, I agree with you. And I think that it doesn't matter whether you have a, a, a restaurant, a pizzeria, a burger place, a fast food place, an Indian food. It's like the same principles. It, you're just cooking a different exactly. product. You know, you can use the same right. marketing principles, right. same people skills that you use in any business. It's just, you know, your product might be different. Right, right. Um, so that being said, so obviously the upper crust is very, um, I don't want to say cutting edge, but like they're always, they're a unique brand. You know, how did, how did you guys come up with that brand and how do you use marketing and social media to get that brand across? Well, um, you know, I, I, I'll skip back to the, uh, the, you know, the founder, he created a brand that was based around kind of, I don't know how you want to say it, like a, kind of like a fun place to be high energy you know yeah uh, our, our restaurants have you know tvs that are usually showing sports or, or a game or something like that the music's always at a at a certain level where you can really hear it it's, it's set to a very upbeat uh channel and believe it or not we play the 80s cha- the 80s station a lot <laughs> a lot um, of prints going on right like now that. i'm sure what's that i said a yeah, lot of prints going on right now sure <laughs> yep um so you know, he created a, a brand that was very upbeat, very, you know, very positive, very uh, fun to be in. You know, yeah. the stores are fun to be there. People are having fun working. They're, they're laughing. Uh, they're joking. They're, you know, they're, they're enjoying being at work, things like that. So it, we kind of took, uh, you know, so we kind of took that and kind of ran with it. Um, obviously, he created it. And right. uh, the marketing started out with a lot of print ads, okay? This is way back in 2005 you know 2006 things like that yeah social um, media wasn't as it, popular back then no it was pr- pretty much non-existent you know <laughs> um so we did a lot of print ads um a lot of fun fun play on things you know we did a recreation i'll just give you one example we did a recreation of the uh a beatles album where the guys are walking across the street and they all have a pizza box you know i think it was on boylson street in boston yeah things like that because kind of from the album cover things like that so it almost created this uh this um it it just created this this uh this um atmosphere where customers were like oh i can't wait to see the next ad you know so we would change it you know right um i can't wait to see the next ad you know we would change it up and it would be something fun and different you know things like that now obviously now we've kind of evolved to more social media marketing and things like that we try to do the same thing. We try to keep it fun. We try to um, involve, you know, a lot of our stores or all our stores, I should say, uh, are encouraged to get involved with the community or their community as much as possible. You know, we do appreciation days for teachers and police and fire and things like that. And a lot of that stuff is carried through to social media. Um, donations, you know, we do a lot with the Jimmy Fund and Boss and things like that. Right. Uh, but aside from that, um, you know, we do a lot of, and aside from the taking a picture of our product and throw it on social media, we try to do things that are going to engage the customer. And, I, you know, I by no means am a social media expert. Right. Um, but we do have people that they handle it and they know what they're looking for and, you know, things like that. They'll ask you, hey, try to get this in a picture and we'll post it, things like that. Now, that, like, that's a good transition point there. I wanted to ask you about that. Um does each individual shop have their own like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram account? No. So what we do is we do, um, 
<laughs> we do regional. So the greater Boston area has a Facebook. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah. The West Coast has a Facebook, Instagram, things like that. And then, um, and then uh, the Mid-Atlantic has their own. So it, gotcha. Twitter is for the company as a whole. Right. And uh, I think Instagram is for the company as a whole, but Facebook is, is split up. Yeah, Facebook now, is very – yeah, something, go ahead. What's that? No, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, if it's something um, um, huge like, you know, hey, we donated 2,000 pieces to the Boston Marathon for the runners or something, you know, just throwing something out there as an yep. example. Well, we might put that on all the pages, you know. Yeah, because that builds but brand awareness. Usually, yeah. Yeah. But usually if, if uh, the D.C. or Arlington stores um, donate to some teachers or have a big fundraiser at the store, they'll keep it, you know, specific to that Facebook page. Yeah. And do you have someone – now, when it comes to the photos and the content, do the, the individual stores take their own photos and send them to you guys, or do you have someone go around and take, kind of taking pictures and stuff? We, we have both. Um, I, I'm going to say that it's primarily – heavier on the manager or the staff member snapping a picture of a, of a, a particular event or a particular something, you know, yeah. a time frame for something, you know, things like that store opening, they'll take a, a group shot of all the new employees, things like that. And they'll send it along. But there are times when uh, the marketing people come through and we'll take a few of their own pictures, things like that. And like if they have a promotional something going on. Right. Right. So they, you know, they have, higher resolution cameras, things like that. They know what they're looking for, things right. like that. But we do a lot of reposting too. A lot of, you know, customers post stuff and we'll repost it, you know, that stuff that we are tagged in. Do you suggest, do you, um, I don't want to say suggest people do that, but do you encourage your customers to do that? Uh, we don't, we don't um, just put it out there like, hey, you know, take a picture and we'll, you know, but yeah. um, if somebody asks, you know, hey, I want to check in or I want to take a picture, um, we'll tell them, you know, Hey, if it's okay, we'll repost this on our page too. You know? Yeah. Especially with things involving kids, you got to be careful, you know? So we, we always get permission first before we just go repost something. But right, usually, right. um, Instagram, things like that, we don't really, you know, encourage it per se, but, um, if somebody says to us, you know, Hey, I just took a picture of this piece. That's awesome. I'll put it on my page. I got all these followers, but we'll tell them like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll repost it too. You know? Right. It's kind of a, you're encouraging it by not by you know reaching out to them if they do do it and saying hey thank you it, it encourages other right right to exactly do the same thing. I guess the proper way of saying it is we're kind of subtle about it. You know, yeah, we don't. You don't want to. Yeah, you, know? you don't. You don't want to be out there and be like hey tag us on every photo. But the other customers when you do do that they they notice that as well and it'll encourage them through the action that you took to do it for themselves. Exactly. Uh, which social channel? If I don't know if you're aware, know this answer, but uh, which one works best for you guys? Which one are you guys seeing the most results on? The most engagement with customers? I think that, um, believe it or not, I think Twitter has the best following. Really? And I think Twitter is really effective. Although I would think Facebook's probably a close second, if not tied. You know. Now that's interesting because a lot of people don't really know how to use Twitter for their business. Is it? Do you think that? Yeah. Because you guys started with Twitter and it's been around for a while. We have um, been around, we've been using, yeah, we, two things. We've been using Twitter for a long time and we're very active on it. Um, we actually, believe it or not, you know, sometimes, obviously everybody makes mistakes. We make mistakes, you know, somebody makes tweet, you know, Hey, you know, I got a pizza. It was wrong or it was burned or whatever, you know, uh, we're, we're able to 
to re- to rectify it immediately right. because we know about it. You know, what I mean? and we actually, believe it or not, won an award a couple of years ago for one top 50 restaurants or someone who are most active on Twitter with responding to either good things, bad things, whatever. You know, yeah. like, I, I I don't know the exact name of or the exact title of what they were talking about. But I'll look it up and I'll put it in the show uh, notes. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool. So we're very active on Twitter and. And I think if you're going to use Twitter, you have to be active on it. And the thing that I, I think that works the best is it shouldn't be all about you. You know, you want to be sharing and posting things going on in your community. And yeah. uh, and maybe even across the street, you know. Um, you know, we're a pizza place. A guy builds, a, a, you know, a little independent guy or girl, woman, whatever, you know, builds a little <laughs> restaurant. We may post something like, hey, good luck, you know, thank, welcome to the community, things like that. You want to engage the community. It, it shouldn't be all about you, you yeah. know? It's funny you, it's funny you say that about um, you're not the first person that said, you know, even though we have a pizza shop, um, it's not in, discouraged to go say, hey, congratulations or good luck to the guy down the street from you who has the same type of business. I feel, and I've talked to many people about this on the show, um, there's such a like an 80s rivalry with pizzerias like the guy across the street is like your enemy you know because right you, because you sell the same product and if you really just relax a little bit there's nothing really proprietary that you own that nobody can find out about you know exactly. and i'm not saying go share exactly. your sauce recipe or your dough recipe but don't be afraid to acknowledge the guy across the street and tell him like you said hey good luck you know it's not gonna it's not gonna kill your business exactly and, and i think it's, it's important to follow everybody you can, because there's kind of a funny story out of Las Vegas a couple of years ago. Somebody tweeted, um, you know, Hey, I was at the, I don't know the name, you know, I don't know what casino they were at. Right. I was at the Mirage or something and, uh, um, terrible experience. I'm never, you know, not going back to Vegas again. <laughs> and I think like Caesars or somebody picked up on it and tweeted back and said, Hey, I'm really sorry. You didn't enjoy your trip to Vegas. If you decide to come back, come to Caesars, well, you know, you can stay with free for us. You know, we, uh, we hope you'll consider it. Right. It wasn't bashing on, you know, the other casino that they had a poor experience at. It was more about, Hey, we're sorry. You had a bad experience in our town. Uh, we really want you to come back. You know, so they got that because they were watching other feeds, you know, and that's important. Um, it's good to follow as many people as you can, you know, because, yeah. Um, It shouldn't all be be about you. No, I agree. I think a lot of people just post and run. They post something on social media and then they kind of, they just kind of forget about it. Not knowing that if someone sees it two hours from now, they're just seeing it, they might respond. And there's a great opportunity for you to engage with the customer. Exactly. And again, if you follow, um, if you follow somebody like Danny Meyer, he's always tweeting back to customers and he's very, he's very active. Don't get me wrong. They probably have a massive team right. that handles all their social media. But here's this guy who doesn't need to ever work again. You know, he's extremely rich. You know, the company went public, but yet he's always on there. Hey, thanks for the tweet. Glad you had fun at our restaurant. Blah blah. You know. Yeah. He's very active. He's he's always thanking people, things like that. And I think that's important because uh, it's it's just not about posting. You know a picture of your pizza or anything. Like you said, post and run, post yeah. and run. It, it's really getting involved and being active on social media. Yeah. The one thing that Twitter does that the other social networks 
don't do as well is Twitter can be a phenomenal listening tool. Like you can, like you said, you can search in uh, pizza and see who's talking about pizza and engage with them and they have no clue who you are. Or I bet you anybody listening to this show right now, if they went on their Twitter account and searched the name of their restaurant, I almost guarantee you that someone at some point has said something about your restaurant on Twitter, whether you're there or not. Right. And it's a great opportunity to engage with that customer because they, they're mentioning you without you having to do anything. I agree. So, um, and so this, it's a very powerful tool. Yeah. You know, social so what, media. And what's great about it is it's cheap. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, Facebook's kind of expensive nowadays, but it's not, it's still not as expensive to, you know, uh, like you said, before social media came out, when you guys were doing print, I'm sure it costs a lot, lot more than it does for a Facebook ad nowadays. Absolutely. Way more. I mean, uh, you know, if we did a print ad and we still do a few, don't get me wrong, but, um, if we do a print ad, uh, you know, it could be three fourths of, you know, three, four thousand dollars and in a high profile magazine, you know, in Boston. Right. I don't, whereas, yeah, I I don't say like people ask me all the time, they send me emails, Hey, what should we, I'm going to stop doing direct mail and I'm going to do social media. And I always tell them why, why are you going to stop? Don't stop doing something. Just add social media to your repertoire. You don't have to stop doing direct mail. People still get mail in their mailbox and look at it. doesn't mean it doesn't work. Yep. At all. Absolutely. It just doesn't we, work as and much. We do direct mail. Yeah. You know, we don't do it consistently, but if we have a new location, we'll send out a something that says here, come try us out. Here's a free small pizza, something like that. You know, right. I mean, even we do that. And, and, uh, so I think you need to, you know, you don't want to ignore any, everything any particular works. aspect of marketing, you know, yeah. You just can't look at every everything works in its own unique way. You have to learn the platform, learn how the people on that platform are engaging and how they're using it, and then talk to them in that way. Exactly, and you and you got to know your market, you know, because yeah. our social media marketing in uh, Boston is going to be far more effective than uh, than a suburb, just because the, the younger yeah, crowd, yep. that's all they yep. do. They're consistently on the, you know. Twitter or whatever, you know, and yep. they're on a 24 seven, things like that. So you got to know your market because, uh, <laughs> you know, don't waste your time doing something that isn't going to be all that effective. Maybe keep it on the sideline, like you said, but focus on something that's really going to work. Right. Know? Totally. So what does the future hold for you and for upper crust? How many more stores do you guys think you're going to open? And uh, are you guys going to expand all across the country? Well, right now we're focusing on uh, the LA market and we're focusing on, the mid-Atlantic. Uh, we have looked in Pittsburgh. We have looked in um, Philadelphia, things like that. But um, we are – our plan right now is to grow those two hubs to, um, you know, whatever we can. You know, yep. so D.C. market is probably – for our brand, the D.C. market would probably hold five or six stores, including a couple key suburbs like Arlington we already have. But, um um, Bethesda, there's a couple big suburbs down there that are that are kind of little cities, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So, so DC is probably five or six locations, and I think California is just unlimited because it's just crazy. There's yeah, so many big. people. So, um, our plan right now is just to focus on those hubs and and open up, uh, you know, a couple more in DC and, and a couple more in California, and then uh, you know, if opportunity presents itself in a different market. Like I said, we've looked at a couple of markets like Pittsburgh, things like that. Um, we'll consider it. But right now, um, we don't want to spread ourselves all over the place. You know, we, we have some key people in place on the West Coast, and we have key people in place in 
the DC market. And so let's just focus on that. That's kind of like what we're thinking and and go from there. Um, you start opening one here, one there. You, 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 how are you going to manage that? You know? Yeah, you got to kind of keep them consolidated and then grow, uh, <laughs> expand out gradually. Exactly. And not to mention, you know, more stores, more buying power. You know, I open one store in DC and, you know, I have higher prices because the vendor's like, listen, I got to bring in this special kind of cheese for you. I don't have anywhere to stock it. The minimums are too high on logoed products like plates and bags and things like that. Right. So those are other things to consider that focus on one market and build it up because your buying power is that much better. You know, you got, then you can, then a vendor can justify storing your stuff and things like that. Um, but you, you open one here, one there, and you know, they don't want to hold the minimums for you. And they don't, you know, the price yeah. is, like I said, maybe a little higher because you, you're not ordering as much, things like that. So there's a lot to think about, you know, um, when you do things like, things like that. You want to make sure that you focus on one area, build it up, and then move on. One question I didn't ask you. What point of sale system do you use at the Upper Crest? Well, we were using uh, PosiTouch. We actually switched over to a Boston company that started up a couple years ago called Toast. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. it's a ta- yeah, it's a tablet-based system. We've been really happy with them. Um, again, they're, uh, the information that we're able to obtain now just from looking on our phone and things like that is great. We didn't always have that with the old system. Uh, obviously, technology has changed a little bit since then, but um, we're happy with it. You know, they're, they're, they're running, they're independent POS stations, so if one goes down, you're not on a network where the whole system goes down. Right. Um, and they're a lot less expensive than, than a full-blown POS company. So we've been, uh, so far, so good. You know, we've been happy with them. Um, they uh, they were a startup. They've gotten rel- relatively big. Yeah, I've heard um, of them. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm happy for them. But the support's uh, inexpensive. It's not free and uh, most of the time. And, um, you know, if something goes bad, it's just a tablet. It's not that expensive to replace it, you know. Right. It's much better than a whole computer system. Like you said, when you have, uh, you know, four or five computers on a network, it's one computer goes down, they all go down. It can be frustrating. Exactly. And, you know, you get in a busy, you know, you get in a store where the traffic's bad. And what's nice is you can unplug it. It's a, you know, it's still a wireless device at the end of the day. So if you want to run out a pizza to the car, bring the tablet with you, the person can pay doesn't have to get out. It just makes it that much easier for right. him. So you get, it opens you up to a little bit of uh, customer service, too, which is kind of nice. Yeah, it makes it a little bit more convenient. Yeah, yeah. If you have a system that's a station there, you're just that's all you can do. You're stuck there. <laughs> right. Well, so much great info, Sean. I appreciate you coming on the show, taking the time out of your day, and sharing that with us today. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to this episode. With Sean, great information from him. Check out the Upper Crust, see what they're doing on social media. Uh, Pretty active on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. All good stuff there. Uh, For the show notes for this episode, go to smartpizzamarketing.com forward slash 64. Also, if you want to have a one-on-one 15-minute social media strategy session with me, go to smartpizzamarketing.com. There'll be a button there for you to select what time works best for you. We can sit down for about 15 or 20 minutes. Go over your social media marketing And I can help you define a good strategy for moving forward and which social platforms will be best for you. Maybe it's Snapchat. 
Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Maybe it's only one of those, or maybe it's all of those. So we'll have to go over your business, what your goals are, what you're doing right now, and what's working, and then we can come up with a strategy. So that's free. Head over to smartpizzamarketing.com and check that out there. And we will see you on either next week's podcast episode or our live show Monday night on Blab. See you guys.